Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. Today's episode is brought to you by MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or a laptop, and importing existing lists into MailChimp's Snap, no matter how it's formatted. You can personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. There's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. All right, my guest this week is Aaron Hockley. He's a photographer with a background in technology, and he's working on, uh, he's pursuing his own passions right now. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be chatting with you this evening. So tell us, you, you have a part-time job that, you know, is it's a job, but what you're doing in your free time is, I shouldn't say free time, in your other time, <laughs> is you, you've actually started a photo studio, right? Yeah, I do have a photography business. I've been doing it professionally, uh, part-time, for about uh, almost five years now, and that kind of grew out of a photography hobby and bringing my camera with me to events and taking a lot of photos and sharing those photos, uh, especially within the tech industry. And so, you know, sharing them online was kind of a thing even five, six, seven years ago. And it was me doing photos for fun, and then people started inviting me to come to events and offering to pay me money to take photos, and that's kind of how the professional side of it started. So, did do you still love photography the way you did? Or do you love it more now that you're getting paid for it? I think uh, the process of doing the photos themselves, I think my love for it probably has grown a bit as I've studied photography more and learned a bit more about the different things that I can bring to the photos as a photographer and when I prepare and think and plan ahead of time. Um, getting paid for it is nice. I mean, ultimately... You know, we all have bills to pay and a mortgage and mouths to feed and things like that. And so, you know, the fact that I can do that doing an activity that I love is is a great bonus. But I'm not doing it just for the money. I mean, I think even, you know, if I were to decide that, well, no, I really don't want to do photography professionally. I want to shut that thing down. I would still have a camera. I would still make pictures for fun. I would still probably share them online. Sure. Um, The difference, though, I mean, for me, there's always a risk that as soon as I start making money on something, it adds responsibility and pressure to it. Like, it may have been something that I was thrilled about in my free time. But as soon as it becomes a paid effort, like, sometimes it's not true. Like, some of my app development, I still love doing. But some things become tedious at that point. Do you find that at all? There are a couple different areas where that, you know, it, it's not all fun and games and it's not all super sexy being the photographer. I mean, people think that, oh, you go, you know, make pictures all day. And it's like, well, no, really, I, most of my time is spent not making pictures. It's spent, you know, doing the business side of it, the the administration things, the marketing, the 
taxes, the paperwork, all of that. Um, but even when I'm doing the photos themselves, there's definitely a different level of responsibility and professionalism, I think, that is inherent when you are charging people money and representing yourselves as a, as a professional. And so, you know, in the past, if I was at an event, you know, just as an attendee or even as a volunteer making pictures for fun, you know, the goal was to make a bunch of good pictures. And if something went wrong or, you know, if maybe I missed the photo at the crucial moment as somebody was being presented an award or something, it was a bummer. Now, if I'm being paid, it's not just a bummer, but now I'm not delivering the services that I've promised to the client. And so yeah, now it's a liability. Yeah. Now it's, now it's a liability, right? I mean, if, you know, I don't, shoot a lot of weddings, but, you know, if you're going to be a wedding photographer, there's certain photos at the wedding that you really have to get. You have to get that kiss. You have to have a photo of the bride walking down the aisle. Um, you have you know, to know what you're doing. Right. I mean, it's it's a combination of understanding the technical aspects needed to make that photo so that you're not fiddling with camera settings when you should be paying attention to what's going on, along with knowing what's going to happen to be able to anticipate where you might want to be at a certain moment to get a photo. Um, I think one of the things that I've been told, you know, I don't know that I necessarily have a style, but one of the things that I've been told by people after seeing a lot of my event photos is that apparently I do a great job of capturing, you know, candid photos at events and having my camera in the right place at the right time to capture that moment that wasn't set up or wasn't staged. But a lot of being able to do that is because I've done so many events that I kind of know where I might want to be at a certain moment or I'm paying attention to the lighting or the environment and how people are standing and interacting. And so, yes, I might know that, well, this area with this group going on seems like it might be interesting and there's an interesting background behind it. And so I may go hang out over there for a few minutes just to get that moment where the right person walks in or has an interaction that can create that great photo. So let's talk about weddings still. Okay. I think I think that the difference between candid event photos and weddings is not just a technical and anticipation kind of difference. It's also personality. Like at a wedding, everyone's so high strung, at least everyone involved in the wedding, sometimes even the guests. Everyone's so high strung that if you become, uh, if you impede anything, you're in trouble. You're expected to get everything, mm -hmm. but not be in the way. You're expected to not interrupt the ceremony, but still click a camera. It's, it, I couldn't, I, I, I had a marketing firm and we had a photographer and we accepted a couple weddings and my photographer was great at it, but I found the whole experience just I don't even like to go to weddings as a guest. <laughs> weddings definitely are an interesting beast in that, you know, for the people that are involved, it's, you know, probably it might be the most important day of their life that far, you know, after they've been born, that may be the most, you know, significant event that's happened ever for them. And so naturally, like you said, they're high strung, they're anxious, they're nervous, they're excited, they're afraid of what might possibly go wrong. And so everybody's on edge. And as a photographer, you have to be able to work with those people that are in that scenario. Um, you know, I mean, there are other events that I photograph or that happen that 
there's definitely that pressure on as well. But um, I think a wedding probably heightens it because it is that important of a day. And you have one photographer, maybe two, you know, generally. And so, you know, if you're the lone photographer and you have a gear problem or you, you know, aren't paying attention or for whatever reason and you, you mess up, there's a lot of baggage that goes with that. And so, you know, I, I was talking to you briefly before the show, you know. I really don't photograph weddings. I have a lot of friends and people that I know that do an excellent job of it, and they have that right personality to interact with those brides and to work with those families on that day. And so I will happily refer people to a bunch of wedding photographer colleagues that I have that do a great job with that, and I try to focus more on what I think uh, I do well and what I enjoy. I think that's really smart. I think the the guy who photographed my wedding, and granted, my wife and I are very laid-back people, and we had a very laid-back wedding. But I had a friend actually photograph the wedding, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we paid him, uh, but not nearly as much as a professional wedding photographer. But he had this uh, this quiet, uh, a quiet but alert personality, and it worked perfectly. Like I can't even in my mind remember him being at the wedding, but I have a pile of really great wedding photos to show for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's ideal. Anyway, we could talk about you. <laughs> We can talk about the guy who doesn't like to shoot weddings right, any more right. than I do. Um, so, so do you feel like your background in tech and you develop software? Your part time job is 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 software development for the government, right? Does, right. And does that does that influence your your photography? Are you like an all digital? How does it how does it touch into your kind of other pursuits? Your passion pursuits. I think where my tech background and my software development background intersects with photography is in a couple different areas. So one is in that um, I'm very at home working in a digital environment. You know, so I have lots of photographer friends and colleagues, and as I go to photography events and associations, um, I'm kind of a rarity, and it's becoming less and less so as time goes on. But like, I never really shot film. I didn't really get into photography until about 2001 with a, I think it was a two megapixel digital camera at the time made by Kodak. And so I don't have all that background of becoming a proficient film photographer and then having to adapt and convert all of my processes over to digital. So being somebody who is a, you know, a digital photography native, (laughs) um, processing my files on my computer using a photo editing program has has kind of been all I've known. And so I have that techie background. I have that geek background. Um, I understand how software works or doesn't work as the case may be. And so uh, I think probably the fact that I'm completely at ease using a computer and using the internet <laughs> sets me apart from a lot of photographers. Um, and with that software tech internet background, um, the other big area is that, you know, so like I started blogging in 2001 and I've kind of been using different social media platforms as, as they've evolved and grown and, you know, gained traction and died. Um, and so I spend a lot of time talking to other photographers and I blog about and I, you know, occasionally do speaking, talking to other photographers, helping them figure out kind of the online and the internet world. And I end up spending time also, it seems, helping people in the online marketing and internet space figure out how they can better use photography. So I kind of cross those two worlds um, based on my, my background and my profession and my interests. 
So this this not having a foundation in dark rooms and and you know silver whatever. Right. Um do you feel do you get flack for that? Do people do other photographers do you feel looked down upon for not having that foundation? I think there are a few who I don't know if they'd necessarily look down upon it, but it's definitely a bit of you know, I think there maybe is a feeling of, you know, you kids with your newfangled computers, you know, you don't right. know how hard, we, how hard we used to have it. Um, you know, I think in some respect you have to let, you know, let your results speak for themselves. And is that, you know, the reality is that pretty much all professional photographers now are, are shooting digital regardless of what they, you know, what they grew up with. I mean, there's, sure. still, there's still people that do film for fun. But I think not having had that experience occasionally, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, we all, I think we're all afraid of getting labeled as, you know, like the old fogey or the, you know, (laughs) the traditionalist maybe in certain crowds. And I think the fact that I've never shot film occasionally, people react to that in the photography world. I mean, there might be a little bit of looking down, but the photography world's kind of interesting in that there's so many people doing different interesting things now that don't fit the traditional model of professional photography that I think the industry as a whole is opening its mind up a little bit as to what is photography and what is a professional photographer because, you know, gone are the days of the professional photographer, you know, having a, you know, Ten thousand dollar minimum equipment investment to get started. Right. You, well, it, see, this happens. This happens in every industry, though. Um, like, if you look at, I, I worked in print design, mm-hmm. and I started. Uh, they, I went to school, and they started us with wax boards, and and we did our graphic design on paper with with scissors and pen knives, and right. It was, uh, and we learned on on. Uh, we we learned actual uh, type press and all of this stuff before they would let us touch Quark. And going into Quark, it made sense because Quark was designed around paper, like like physical principles, and like understanding the paradigms made Quark easier to use. But as the generations progressed, and people came in that had no foundation in the kind of the physical world of it, they were able to suddenly start working in ways that wouldn't have been possible before. And, and they could, they could discard the old paradigm. So there's something to be said for that next wave that comes after the artists who do like pure digital recording, never touch a tape deck. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can do things and not always, it's not always good, but they can do things that would never have been possible on tape. So I think, I think it works out in the end. I think we need people who don't have the foundation in order to shift a paradigm. Right. I I think it's different. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily better or worse. I mean, as somebody who never shot film, you know, perhaps I missed out on some experiences that might've influenced how I photograph now and maybe, you know, maybe influence that in, in good ways. But on the other hand, I also don't have whatever, you know, mental attachment or baggage right. that I might have or traditions, you know, I mean, if I, if I photographed in a certain way for 10 years, because that's the way you had to do it with film, it's going to be a harder transition to do new things. I mean, and yeah, it becomes a handicap as, as technology progresses. 
Right. And so I think as, you know, as technology progresses, as the ability to share photographs and how we present those change, um, you know, these new things keep coming out and some of them will stick and some of them won't. But, you know, I think photographers and people in any industry need to just have an open mind and realize that change happens. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not always good. It's not always bad. And, uh, that people are going to come in from a different generation and have a new way to do things. And, you know, they, yeah. they, pr- they bring something to the table as well. Right. And so I think the more that we can all talk to each other and communicate and share those experiences, it's going to bring everybody up. I agree. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick break for a sponsor and then I'm going to actually, I want to talk more about your studio then. Okay. So, um, are you still using Word or Excel to create invoices? Do you use a shoebox of receipts to track your expenses? Save time and get paid faster with Fresh Books. Fresh Books. <laughs> Fresh Books. The easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Fresh Books is the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners just like you save bill- save time billing and get paid faster. Aaron, do you use FreshBooks? I actually do use FreshBooks. I've been using them for a few years now. Awesome. I, I, I have heard nothing but good things. It, it's kind of weird. I had a client um, maybe a year ago or so make a comment that it was so it was so easy to pay me because they could just click the link in the invoice and pay it online. And, you know, as, as a freelancer, I'm all about making it easy for people to pay me because that's often a challenge. Yes, that's exactly what people tell me about it. Um, I'll finish the sponsor read. Um, I should have finished it before I asked you, but, um, with fresh books, you can easily create invoices online. As we just mentioned, capture and track expenses on the go and get real time business reports with a few simple clicks. And you can try fresh books for free. Sign up today at getfreshbooks.com. And here's a treat for systematic listeners. Every day, fresh books is giving, fresh books is giving out a birthday cake to someone who signs up for a new account from this show. So for a chance to win a birthday cake, enter Systematic and the How Did You Hear About Us section and uh, when you sign up for a new account with FreshBooks, every day could be your birthday. So go sign up at GetFreshBooks.com. Yeah, I had a friend telling me on a road trip uh, uh, just the other day that I should check out FreshBooks. Right now I'm sending invoices from two different sources. You know, I've got like my, I use, I use billings, which I love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll send vo- uh, invoices straight through PayPal as well. Right. Right. And, and having a consolidated place, how, can people, do you have to use a credit card to pay with fresh books? If you're going to pay online. Yeah. They, although they accept a lot of different payment providers. Do, do they accept PayPal? They do. Oh, that's awesome. So you can send somebody a FreshBooks invoice. They can click a link in the email, takes them to the FreshBooks website. They can look at the invoice, and from there they can click a pay button to send them over to PayPal and pay with PayPal. And then it tells you that they paid. Right now I have to go to my online banking transactions and read through to see who's paid their invoices. It's horrible. Oh, yeah, that's no. So once they pay with PayPal, you get notified in FreshBooks, plus, you know, you get your PayPal payment notification email as well. So it's a pretty slick system. It works well, especially with, I work with a lot of small businesses and startups. And so, you know, saying, hey, go online and pay with PayPal is not a foreign concept to them. You know, either that or, um, you know, it makes it easy. I have people who send me checks in the mail. And people who want to pay by PayPal, 
and the whole gamut in between. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to go get a birthday cake. Sounds good. <laughs> so, okay, so you at five years ago, you 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 were working full time and then decided to open a studio. Is that how it went? Yeah, I started doing uh, I started doing photography professionally. Kind of the first professional photography that I did was, you know. Like I said, I'd been doing photos at events, and people would then say, hey, we've got this event. Can you come to the event? Can you bring your camera? Um, you know, Can we hire you to photograph the event? Because we want to make sure we have some good events. And so it, it started with events, and mostly around the technology space. Portland, um, at the time, like I said, five, six years ago, really was going through kind of a, a tech scene awakening where there were lots of interesting things happening surrounding startups and surrounding bloggers and social media was kind of a thing and um, a lot of events were happening and so I started photographing those and uh, from there my business has grown a bit and that I do a lot of almost kind of jack of all trades photography for small businesses and startups now so that will be everything from you know, a business portrait, a headshot of some people to put on their website or to use with their, their marketing materials, um, events, launch parties, um, the occasional product photo, um, just kind of uh, solving the photography needs for, you know, for a small business that doesn't necessarily have a marketing department that's going to go out and do that on their own or, uh, you know, or doesn't have a relationship with an existing photographer. Okay, so it's... it's uh it's a hypothetical. You have a choice between an event and a product that you can bring into your studio. Which do you choose? I'm going to go with the event. Really? So, I yeah. the The product photography stuff. It's interesting. It doesn't interest me as much from a storytelling and emotional standpoint, I would say. And that's, you know, a lot of times when I'm creating photos for a business or for a person, you know, ultimately they have a goal of why they're hiring somebody to take their picture. And maybe it's because they want to present an image, you know, a professional image on their website, or maybe it's because, you know, they're a writer and they have a new book coming out and they need a cool photo for the the back of the, the book sleeve. Um, or maybe it's, you know, I'm working with a startup right now that's getting ready to launch a hardware product, and they need to be able to tell the story of why this product is interesting and why you would want to, you know, buy this product and invest in their services and their system. And it's more interesting to me to figure out that why and to capture the images that tell that story. And I find that, you know, a lot of times I can get a lot more interesting emotional emotion evoking photographs um, when I'm photographing an event or when I'm photographing people. Yeah, the product photos help with that story, but, you know, on their own, they're they're more of a technical challenge, and I think it's interesting when I get a combination of a technical challenge and the the emotional aspect of it. Okay, that makes sense. For me, I, I, I worked in a studio, or I worked with studios when I was doing art direction for a company, mm-hmm. and my favorite times were when we had one product that had to be photographed beautifully and it had to look perfect mm-hmm. and we could spend hours putting, you know, like barn doors on lamps and setting up reflectors and uh, diffusers and really getting that perfect shot. And that's what I love. Like for me, the storytelling 
the emotional part of it mm-hmm. isn't as interesting to me as the technical part of it. Uh, interesting. Well, it's kind of interesting because photography is such a broad field that there's so many different people that are interested, and all of them have different interests within photography. And so that's kind of one of the things that I think is good is if people can find what it is that interests them and then focus on that. Um, it's kind of like the you know being a generalist versus a specialist, right, is – you know, if you have a plumbing problem, you're more likely to call a plumber than a general contractor because the plumber's more likely to really know what they're doing and have all the experience there. And so, and get think, the job done faster on an hourly rate. Exactly, and I think it's the same thing with a photographer. I mean, there's people that will shoot everything from a product to a baby to a wedding to a senior portrait to, you know. Uh, you know, marketing materials, I mean, everything. And, you know, they'll probably do an okay job with it. But I think the people that specialize, um, you know, probably gain more experience and expertise in that specific area and bring that to the table, which is why I try not, you know, I'm not interested in photographing everything for everybody. I want to really focus on what I, what I enjoy doing and what I think I do well. Can I tell you what my favorite senior photo is? Go for it. (laughs) <laughs> when I go to the movie theater here in town, they run some local ads before they start the previews. Okay. And there's a senior photographer. By the way, I think most f- photographers who do senior photos, uh, I don't I don't trust them. Um, okay. <laughs> Why is, I, I, I won't go into that right now. Uh, I think <laughs> okay. there's some lechery involved with that that's uh, just barely legal. Um, but the my favorite one is they put up this big shot of this kind of heavy set kid with a, a flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off and a baseball bat over his shoulder and a huge American flag in the background. And it's, it's, it's like, Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting. There's, there's so many different things that get portrayed in senior photos, everything from the, the mundane to the risque and everything in between. Yes. And, and I, I, my senior photos were shot in a photo booth. Like one of those where you put a dollar in and it takes four pictures of you. Okay. Uh, so I just picked one of those for my senior picture, and it worked out just fine. I couldn't couldn't get my whole mohawk into the picture, but it worked out. <laughs> nice, nice. So- um, well, so I wanted to ask you. You you've said you started doing photography about fifteen years ago. How old are you? I am thirty seven. 37. So this would have been post-college? This would have been post-college. It was uh, really kind of the spark got reignited um, actually on my honeymoon in that we went down to Southern California and we um, took the trip down there and back uh, via train. So it took us a couple days to get there and a couple days to get back because I live in the Portland area. And um, well on the train, I started just, you know, like I said, I had this, you know, digital camera this kodak digital camera i think it was like i said i think it was two megapixels (laughs) and i just started making a lot of pictures on the train and i something sparked an interest in photography i don't know for sure exactly what it was but after that i started taking pictures of more and more things so uh yeah this was probably you know in my early 20s had just gotten married and then kind of started doing it as a hobby for a while before eventually getting into it professionally so what did you go to school for what did I go to school for? I went to school um, 
off and on for maybe two or three years. I probably wasn't the model student. Um, I started out going to a community college, um, focusing on essentially courses that I thought were going to prepare me into going towards a computer science degree at a four-year college. Um, And what I found was, you know, I went to school, you know, properly for maybe half of the first year, and then I discovered that, you know, I could work and make some decent money doing this stuff, and this class over here wasn't really interesting, and I didn't really seem to be getting much out of it, so I you know, started skipping more of the college and started working more, uh, you know, part-time. At the time, I worked uh, actually worked retail for a big-box computer retailer, um, and then I got a job working for an internet service provider in 1997, I guess it would have been, back when local... The, and <laughs> The heyday of ISPs. Exactly, right? I mean, I, I remember when, uh, you know, I mean that was the thing you wanted to get online you either had AOL really or CompuServe or you went with your local ISP and um, I got a job I started out there doing tech support and then I moved into the webmaster role remember when we used to have webmasters <laughs> um, yes and uh, and so that's kind of where I started dabbling more into the programming side of things using some of what I'd learned in some of my college classes and a lot of what I taught myself on my own do you think that there's a certain personality type that doesn't benefit from schooling as much as it does from on-the-job experience? I don't know if it's a personality type or more of a, a learning style combined with what you're actually trying to do. I mean, I think I think there are definitely some careers where a formal schooling is essentially required, you know, whether if you're going into law, maybe. Um, although I guess you could take the bar exam without necessarily having gone to <laughs> law school. But you know, if you're going to law or medicine, right? I mean, if you want to be a, a real accredited doctor, you probably need to... I would prefer to, that my doctors went to college, yes. You probably need to go to college. But I think there are a lot of careers and a lot of jobs that if you're able to learn in some fashion, which may or may not involve sitting in a college classroom, I think as long as you can learn the skills and demonstrate that you know what you're doing... Um, I don't know that a college degree is necessarily a requirement, and I think software development and a lot of you know computer-related fields are that way. Um, I think a lot of forward-thinking fields are realizing. Like, I think the stat was like last I last I checked, over sixty percent of people in the professional workforce are not working in the area that their degree was in, in the area that they were schooled in. It's almost kind of it's it's a rarity to 10 years later be doing what you thought you wanted to do when you got out of high school. Right. I, you know, I mean, anecdotally, I know tons and tons of people who went to college for one thing and are doing another thing professionally, whether yeah, they, exactly. you know, whether they went to school to get an accounting degree and now they're a software developer or whether they went to school for computer science and now they're in marketing or, you know, it, you know, I know there's a lot of companies, especially kind of older school, bigger companies that require, in theory, college degrees, you know, for job applications and to get a job. Um, but I think a lot of the smaller to medium-sized companies are realizing that, hey, if you have a demonstrated skill in some area, we're hiring you to do that skill. We're not hiring you because you took, you know, a history of rock music class 15 years ago. Interestingly, I I was going through an interview process recently uh, for a very large company that never asked me if I had a degree. And they never asked me what it was in. They only cared about 
my coding abilities, my understanding of the technologies, and my interest in the field. And that was refreshing to have a company like that. They, they, it never even came up. It was on my resume, but they never mm-hmm. talked to me, never asked me. It, I don't know. It was. It, it made me realize what I've long believed that the forward-thinking fields, like the the, I mean, it's not true in law and and medicine. Not that they're not forward-thinking, but in like technology and other similar fields people are beginning to care less and less about whether or not you have a degree. I think you could spend four years hacking in your bedroom and creating something really brilliant and get the same job. I I think the biggest, the most important thing that somebody can learn is how to learn. Exactly. And and that's going to be different for different people, right? I mean, there are people that are book learners that can read a textbook and study something in a book and they'll, they'll, grasp and understanding that they can then apply that. And there's also, I mean, there's people that, you know, will learn by, you know, visually, they'll learn by watching and there's people that have to get hands on and do something. And, you know, it's something that, you know, hopefully people figure out their learning style as they're growing up. And, you know, I mean, if you're the type that can sit in a lecture hall and look at a textbook and learn, then maybe college is going to work out great for you. Um, on the other hand, you know, I mean, like I said, in my case, I would go to a lecture on something I wasn't interested in and be bored to death. And, you know, maybe I would go through the, you know, I mean, I often found that I went through the exercise of doing the homework and taking the test and it's like, okay, great. I, you know, studied almost nothing and I got a B on this test and it still seems completely irrelevant. What is the point of this? <laughs> the um, only the only lecture I have any memory of in my four years between five years between two schools is from an Irish history one oh one liberal arts course <laughs> learning about Sinn Fein. And that was like I don't re- I don't remember a single other class I was actually in. it it had I learned how to learn. I also learned how to BS my way through things, which is a valuable skill. Right, right. I mean, playing the, playing the game will get you a lot of places in life, figuring out what the game is and how to play it. Right. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I look back at my college experiences, and I don't have a lot of, you know, I mean, I have very few in-classroom experiences that jump out. I mean, I remember kind of some meta experiences, like when I took my my class to learn C++, you know, the programming language, and our instructor uh, had a doctorate in computer science and was apparently a senior uh, printer driver designer for Hewlett Packard, Um, you know, and my understanding was he was apparently very good at his job, but he couldn't teach. And so, you know, the class started out with like 75 students in the class. And by the time we got to the final, I think like 13 of us took the final, if I remember right. Um, And everybody who took the final got a B, the same grade out of the class. (laughs) And, you know, that's a flat curve. It's a flat curve. But, you know, it was so hard and we hadn't really figured out the material because he couldn't teach it to us. And I mean, we tried to help each other out, but it was one of those things like, okay, so how is this, how is this helpful? How is this useful? (laughs) I, uh, I, I remember getting paid $50 per, uh, I think it were 10 page reports that I was writing for other people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out I'm a pretty good writer. You're learning your, uh, your entrepreneurial skills there. (laughs) Yeah. Or survival skills, depending on something like that. So, yeah, I, I think I think college has a place in some cases, but I guess 
one of the things that I see, and I talk to a lot of people, you know, that I know, you know, in in real life, and I talk to a lot of people online, and I see so many people going into so much debt to get a degree that somebody told them that they think they need. And you look at what field they're trying to go into and what they're trying to do. And it's like, do you, do you really need that degree? Cause it sure seems to me, you know, like you could go do some experimentation or some hobby work on your own and start a blog and start writing. Even if you write once a week about this topic that you're interested in and interact with other people that are interested in that topic, it seems to me like you might learn more than, you know, going to a college where you're forced to take, you know, a class on, you know, public health administration, even though you're trying to get a degree in, you know, chemical engineering. And then you end up being a stripper. And yeah, um, Exactly. Uh, well, I agree. I agree. I think I think that there is there are learning styles that benefit from going to school. But my, what I love is that, I mean, ten years ago there was no question you weren't going anywhere without a college degree. You would be a stripper for life, right? If you got a college degree, you could you could get out of of the the low income uh, occupations. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very I'm very heartened to see that people are putting less emphasis on them. I, I think college should be a choice. It should be something you do because you want to, and you're good at that kind of thing. Right. And if you're not, if you're, if you're like, like me and apparently like you, you should be allowed to just start gaining the experience, get internships without having to be in college and, and learn and, and get there, pay your dues. Right. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the hard way, but I really don't do well with lectures. I don't do well with class. I don't do well with homework. It was it was hard for me, and I feel like the only things I gained were BS and learning skills. Right, and that's the thing is you you know like you noted it, it used to be that you had to have a college degree, and if you had it to get you know anything other than you know pumping gas or being a stripper or whatever, and that if you got that degree, that was gonna you know put you at a great place in life, and now. You know, not only have we seen that it's possible to, you know, have some success, you know, and get a good footing without that college degree, is that we've seen that just because you have a college degree, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a, you know, $60,000 a year job waiting for you once you graduate. Right. Um, There's a lot of disillusionment around that, too. Exactly. And that's where, you know, I think that's where a lot of people get burned is that they rack up a lot of debt and they get a degree in a subject or, you know, an area where there's not necessarily a clear kind of career path for somebody that's walked out with a four-year degree but no job experience or little job experience. And then they have this massive student debt for a degree that isn't really gaining them anything, and they're not necessarily any better off than, you know, had they gone in without that experience four years ago. I feel like the same could be said about wedding rings. Like the old, <laughs> the old uh, you have to spend like, what is it, three months of your salary right, right. on a ring? And then you spend another, you know, tens of grands of dollars on the wedding and you start off a relationship. You start off a journey through life in debt. And that is to me, like, it's just, it's not, if there's an alternative that would be better for you, why not take it? Right. And you started off in debt and having spent all that money on a ring and a ceremony, which has pretty much no impact on the quality of your marriage or how happy you're going to be together. <laughs> right. My, my wife was more than happy to accompany me 
to a sale at the pawn shop to pick out her wedding ring. And, and I love that. I love that about a relationship. My wedding ring's worth $120 and hers is worth about 250 And that's, that's the kind of the story of our life. We don't have these high maintenance needs and we stay out of debt mm-hmm. and like money problems are bad for everything. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I, I, I see where that can be an issue. And, you know, I mean, again, the college thing, it either, you know, it's either going to help you or hurt you, but I don't think there's a right answer for everybody. And I think the folks that try to try to push the one size fits all solution, you know, I don't think we're in a one size fits all world anymore. I like your philosophy. So, Hey, you're going to love our next sponsor. Okay. No, you're probably not. Do you do you submit stock photos at all? Do you get money off that? That's not an area that I've gone into, although I know several people that have. Yeah, I, I, the photographers I've worked with would send all their like I can't remember what they're called, but when the, their dailies, um, mm-hmm. the, they just send them off to stock photo sites if they didn't have uh, like a uh, what's a contract of some kind that said they couldn't share the product. Right, right. I know, like a lot of the model shots that you see on stock photo shot photo sites were like headshot uh sessions that a model came in for and then the ones they rejected and they sold the stock photo sites um but at at shutterstock.com you'll find over 28 million images stock photos and vectors illustrations and a million video clips so you can start your search at shutterstock.com and find that perfect image for your website ad publication or any other creative project and they do. They have really good. Uh, I've always found what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're. I don't think they're all leftovers. That's good. I shouldn't have started a sponsor readout <laughs> with, with some something that could be construed as negative. But um, I, I actually use this service a lot. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages, and you can choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new because they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos each week. It's more affordable than you think, too, with no charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures and videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. Then there's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. And they also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. And they also have 24-hour support during the week. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME214 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. So, Aaron, you can just you can go uh, find some wedding photos. It's yeah, stock photography is one of those things that there's definitely purposes where it it makes sense to go that route, and there's definitely purposes and times when it makes sense to to hire a photographer. But there's there's some good stuff out there. I've heard lots of good things about Shutterstock. I, I what I, what I love, and not to beleaguer the point, but I do love that you can 
you can buy just a few credits, get one image, and you can download it at the highest possible resolution for the same price you would pay for a web image. Yeah, yeah that's that's a good deal. It is. Um, well, that brings us to top three picks. Yes. So I'm going to let you start with your first top pick. Okay, so so my first pick is a book that I recently finished reading, and it kind of ties in with the, the education and college topic we talked about. And it's called Secrets of a Buccaneer Scholar. It's by a gentleman named James Marcus Bach, who uh, is a high school dropout. Um, and he uh, is a high school dropout who's now gone on to be one of the most uh, well-known, acclaimed kind of thought leaders in the software testing industry. Um, he dropped out of high school basically after figuring out that, you know, kind of in his opinion, the school system wasn't really teaching him what he wanted to learn and that what it was teaching him wasn't really useful. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's a fun read. It's an interesting read. It's a couple hundred pages, and he explores the notion of, um, you know, if you love learning and you're willing to open your mind to learning in different ways, how can you teach yourself the things that you want to learn that may not necessarily fit into the mold of traditional education? So um, I, I actually you know, became aware of him through you know, his technology work and then learned a little bit more about him um, and uh, decided to, to order the book. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's paperback or Kindle. Um, but it's interesting as he goes through kind of some of his life experiences and things he's learned about his his learning style and his explorations and observations and uh, what he's been able to learn and, you know, and where it's gotten him. I mean, he's had a lot of success. He worked for Apple. I think he got hired at Apple when he was 21 years old or something like that with not even a high school diploma. Um, worked there for a while and has gone on to do other interesting things. So Secrets of a Buccaneer Scholar. Nice. I uh, I like that it's a couple hundred pages. It sounds like he knows how to get to the point. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not. I wouldn't call it light reading. I mean, there's a lot of things to think about in it, but uh, um, but you can you can pick it up and read a bit and think a bit about it. It's it's probably something I'm going to read again. You know, it's probably one of those books where each time you read it, you'll pick up something different. You can actually get it on Kindle Kindle for just eight bucks. Nice. It's a deal. But if you want it on paper. It's currently, uh, they only have used copies on this particular page, but $27. Ooh, not bad. I should sell my used copy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> make, make some money. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds intriguing uh, given our, our, our prior discussion. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that if you're not if you're not convinced that our current education system is just op, just awesome, um, you know, it, it's one other way to look at how can you learn. Nice. All right. So my first top pick, I kind of came up with these last minute because I've been, I've been busy and sick and I went through my apps and figured out what I've gotten recently that I really like. And the first one is called draft control. And, oh man, I hope I didn't mention this just last week and I'm too tired to remember. <laughs> I'm going to look at my website right now to figure that out. Um... No, I don't think I did. I don't think. Uh, but anyway, what, what Draft Control does is watch any uh, file on your system. It can be like pages or Word or just plain text files. And it records, every time you save, it records a copy, like a version control uh, system that 
uh, shows you diffs between any two copies and keeps track of all the progress you've made writing that document. It's, it's stuff you could do if you're, if you're well-versed in Git, if you really want to write in a standard coding version control system, that's great. But this app makes it all like super easy. Anybody who writes, whether it's technical docs, whether it's uh, prose, whether you're writing a whole book, this is a great way to not only have backups and be able to, to revert changes, but to see how you're doing with, uh, with progress every day. It's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Do you write it all? Interesting. I do write... I know you blog. I I write primarily short-form blogging-type things. I haven't really written anything longer, although I have a couple potential projects in mind. But uh, most of what I write is, you know, 500 to a couple thousand words. There's a place for that. I think so. Most of what I write is 500 to 1,000. Right, right, yeah. Similar similar length things. I freak out when someone asks me for 7,000 words. Yeah. 7,000 words is kind of a breaking point for me. That takes, well, I, I think it is, but then I'll I'll just start writing and I'll realize I have like 1,200 words and now I have to edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, it's often not a challenge making it longer, but making it shorter and still meaningful. Yes. Um, and it co- it's free to download. You can try this out with one document from the App Store um, you, with one document. And, and then after that, it'll ask you, I think it's, it's like twenty bucks, okay, to unlock it for all the documents, and it has built-in document management and iCloud support. Uh, it can sync all of your changes across multiple computers. Okay, I, I've said my piece. It's pretty cool. All right, I'll have to I'll have to look at that. All right, your number two. So my number two is an app that I've seen quite a bit of chatter about it in the last couple of weeks online. Uh, it's an iPhone app called Threes. Like the number three, threes yeah. with an exclamation point. Uh, it's a puzzle app in a way. It's kind of a math app, but it's more a puzzle app than a math app. And essentially, you have a, a grid of tiles that have some numbers on them, and you combine numbers one and two to make three, and you combine three and three to make six, and six and six to make 12. And you slide these tiles around, and as you combine them, more tiles slide into different places on the board. And, you know, eventually, you know, you fill up your board, and that's when the game ends. And the idea is to end up with the the highest score based on the total value of these tiles that you've combined on your board. And it's strangely addicting. I mean, it reminds me a lot of uh, when Letterpress and when Dots came out, and we all ended up addicted to those for a little while. <laughs> I least... still play Letterpress every day. Excellent, excellent. And so. Um, I saw, you know, I know I saw Marco Arment and some other folks talking about threes, and so I eventually downloaded it and checked it out. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of addicting, and it's the way that the scoring work is it works is it's basically I think it's exponential, and so you know you may end up with a score of say you know three thousand something, and it turns out that that guy who got seven thousand really only made it one or two moves past you, but because he made some huge combination with that, his score went way up. So, so do you have to like math to like this game? I don't think so because I think the only real math you have to know is that you can uh, you can add uh, you know add one and two to make three and three and three to make six. But at that point, you're just matching like numbers. So, um, you know, if you're matching 96 and 96, you don't have to know what that's going to add up to to play the game. So 
and Fair it's uh, I think regular price on the game is three dollars. I think when I got it, it was on sale for a dollar ninety nine. But you it's, know, it, it's it's currently a dollar ninety nine. Okay, so and that's a one time purchase. There's no no ads, no in app purchases. So nice. it's a great deal. Awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. Ch- I've been looking for a new game. I'm looking very hard for a new game, but I'm very picky. I like uh, I like word and puzzle games more than anything, but there's so few that I find that are actually I like addictive games. That's the thing mm-hmm. is I like a game that really takes me out of my 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 current state of mind and just lets me like absorb into into beating the challenge. Yeah, you you'd probably like threes. I mean, I think I think if you like you know like the letter challenges with with uh, with letterpress and that that uh, you'd find th- three is addictive probably <laughs> my favorite game is still super monsters ate my condo and everyone laughs at me for playing the same game for like two years but you want to know how many points i have my high <laughs> score is over a trillion nice. suckers nice <laughs> yeah I, and i swore to my wife that i would stop playing uh while we were watching like shows in the evening oh, right. that i would stop playing it once i hit a trillion <laughs> and I, I did. I did. And then she told me one night about a week later, she's like, you know what? You can play that game. It's okay. You're, you're just not the same without it. So <laughs> I'm actually really into um, Super Stickman Golf. Okay. I've, I've, I've found some very challenging opponents there. And, uh, and letterpress. I still, like every day, it's like what I do in the morning. I, I get up, make my coffee. And then before I start work, I play whatever letterpress games are waiting. Nice, nice. I'll, I enjoy I'll, it. I'll have to find you on there and challenge you or something. I'm, so. I'm turning into that old fogey that just stuck in his ways. Oh, well. Okay, so my second pick, and and it, I'm slow on this one. Everyone else has been talking about it for a while, but BitTorrent Sync is okay. amazing. Like, if you, don't need, if you don't need version control, which is the nice thing about Dropbox is you can go back to any version. But if you want to sync something between multiple machines and never put it in the cloud, BitTorrent Sync is super easy to set up, super fast, and it it has you can set the reaction time in advanced settings. So basically, within about four seconds of me making a change to a file on my machine, it's on two of my other machines, just like that. And nice. and I, I it's amazing, and I love the fact that I don't have to worry about security because it's only ever going between my computers. Not that someone could, you know, do a man in the middle attack and right. take my stuff, but, but that's always a risk. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out if I can do a cloud backup solution using BitTorrent sync and time machine on a remote server. I don't know for sure if I'm going to run into problems with that, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to buy a really big hard drive sync to my my mini over at Mac Mini Colo and uh and just run a time machine backup on what I sync up there. I don't know if it'll work yet. I have plans. Yeah. It's it the whole storage and backup and synchronization and all that seems like a problem that I I don't know if we'll ever be done solving because every time we think we have a great solution, something better comes out. And it's not that the old solutions are bad, but the new ones are better. Yeah, except for we came out with SSDs, which improved computing speeds, but they still die just like platter drives do. Right. Like storage, we, we don't have, we got away from optical disks, but they were still the most reliable form of 
preserving data that we had. And now I feel like everything, like I have to keep moving my stuff around because everything will eventually fail. Right. Yeah, they fail in different ways and occasionally at different times and in different ways. But yeah, SSDs, they fail spectacularly when they fail. Yeah, poof, gone. <laughs> yeah, gone, no warning. So. <laughs> but. Yeah, all right. So that was my pick. All right, so your okay. turn. So for my last pick, I'm going to recommend something that's not new by any means. I think it's been around for seven or eight years at this point. Um, and that is Smug Mug, which is a photo hosting, sharing, and sales service. Um, you know, it's kind of like Flickr on steroids in a way. Um, Smug Mug, like I said, started up many years ago uh, in the Bay Area by a couple of brothers who bootstrapped it. Um, they charge money for the service, which I know is a crazy idea in the, the online services world. It's They have no free accounts. You can get a free trial. I think it's either 14 or 30 days to try it out. Um, but if you want to be a Smug Mug customer, you pay anywhere from 40 to uh, $300 a year, depending on what level of service you need. Um, but they started it out. They've been profitable, I think, since like month three. Again, kind of a rarity with these services. Um, but what they really offer is a great way to store, share, you know, back up your photos in an online way and in a way that you can customize. So, the, I mean, the primary difference in what do you get for $40 a year versus, you know, $300 a year is that the $40 a year plan is basically, you know, you kind of get their site design. You don't have a lot of customization, but you get, you know, unlimited photo uploads. You can, you know, link and embed them to your blog or to other places, you know, share them on Facebook, share them on Twitter. Um, as you move up in the plans, you can do customization. You can pick from templates, um, and then you can also go in and edit. Um, you know, you can add HTML and CSS yourself. One of the things they did last summer is they released a whole new site customization option in that a lot of things that used to require custom code now is really just a drag-and-drop thing. So if you want, you know, if you want your Twitter feed to show up on your site, there's, you know, there's a widget you can drop that on there. If you want, you know, to link out to your blog, you add that link. If you want to change your site header across the whole site, it's literally drag and drop. Um, and I use it uh, both for a nice way to show some of my photos. Um, I also use it, I have the, the business account, the expensive account, because one of the things that it will let you do is sell uh, uh, photos, either as prints or as products. And so oh, nice. if you're... Uh, you know, one of the areas where we've really seen a big rise in photography is kind of the, the prosumer, right? The person that has a job and a career, but they've realized that, hey, I can buy a really nice camera for $1,000 and go out and make some great photos. And so, you know, if you come into your job and you've got that print sitting in your cubicle of this cool waterfall you photographed and your coworker says, hey, that's awesome. I'd love to buy a print of that. Smug Mug will let you set up a gallery where you can you can sell that. And, you know, with the higher-end accounts, you can set a markup on that, right? So they integrate with several different uh, professional photo labs. So um, the people that are doing the printing are the same people that print wedding albums and print, you know, pro portraits and things like that. And so it's a great service. I mean, it costs a few dollars, but uh, it's, a, it's a great company. They're very responsive to the users. They release new features, it seems, almost every month. They're pushing out some new updates to the site and service. And so... You know, if you're not, you know, go ahead. 
if, if you're not happy with, you know, just having your photos on Facebook or you, um, you know, if you kind of want See, somewhere. I really like Flickr. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I've never tried SmugMug, but, like, I'm a paid user of Flickr, mm-hmm. and and I love their API, and I love the books. Like, you can have a, an album turned into, a, like, a hardcover book and sent to you. They're right. really nice. Can SmugMug do that? They can. Um, so, SmugMug integrates with the different labs. They have anything. They have traditional prints. You can get canvas. You can get metal prints. They also have products, so metal prints metal metal prints if you've never seen a metal print it's pretty cool it's basically on aluminum um and they basically fuse the image to the front of the aluminum and so what you end up with is a nice looking print on metal that you can hang on the wall usually there's kind of like a almost like a float block so it'll hang out or sit out from the wall maybe half an inch or an inch um but it's metal. It looks kind of cool. But the added thing is it's like super durable. Like you can hang one in your bathroom where it gets steamy and it won't damage the photo. Sure. Or you could kill someone with it. You could kill someone with it. There, uh, I have a bunch of like four by six size ones that I show as samples to people. And yeah, you could throw those. It'd be a good weapon. <laughs> nice. Um, but Beat yeah, Flick- Flickr. Flickr. Uh, I've been on Flickr for many years. I'm, I also have a, a paid account on Flickr. Um, it's one of those things where Flickr, the big strength for me with Flickr back when I used it super actively was the community aspect of it. Right. In that, you know, you could put your photos there and you could link and embed them to other places and all that. But there were also a lot of really active groups and discussions yeah. going and on. And they were fun. And they were fun. And it was great. And then, you know, a couple things happened, you know, one of which is that, you know, for a period of time, Yahoo didn't really do anything with Flickr. Right. And so the site lagged from a technology standpoint, and then other services kind of popped up, and some of those photo groups and discussions moved elsewhere. And I actually find currently that most of the photography discussion and social conversation that I used to have on Flickr, I'm now having on Google+, because I think photographers are perhaps the only, if not one of the top groups, that... uh, that have really embraced Google Plus, and so I, I have lots of those photography discussions over there, even though the general public, I don't think, is using it quite as much as they are other services. Yeah, see, uh, when they re-released Flickr with the the new iPhone app and everything, mm-hmm. like I I still I'll you know sitting in the bathroom, I'll check my Flickr feed and see what my friends have taken pictures of. However, fifty uh, percent, almost exactly fifty percent of my friends take really stupid pictures. You know who you are, <laughs> right? Um, like it's I, I don't it's a third hamburger you took a picture of this week i i don't it's it's i don't know if it's a really good hamburger take a picture but seriously um and so that that i think uh flicker got cheapened during that point where everyone was wondering if it was going to sunset mm-hmm. spam spam took over like there's all all kinds of spam comments even spam followers all these things that i feel it, it it definitely cheapens my view of Flickr, but Flickr has saved my butt so many times when local data gets corrupted and I lose like important photos mm-hmm. that I've uploaded to Flickr with the API. I can just grab them all at once. So it's kind of functioned as my backup for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great resource. I still publish photos to Flickr. Um, the one I guess benefit that Flickr still does lead to, although this number seems to be decreasing as well, is that I would occasionally get licensing requests for photos that people would find on Flickr. 
Um, you know, I actually put a lot of my stuff up under Creative Commons, so if people want to use it on their personal blog or whatever, yeah. that's cool. Um, but I, you know, more than once, I've sold photos commercially to you know a business or an organization that said, "Hey, we found this cool photo on Flickr. You know, we want to use it for." You know, such and such, you know, how much would it be? And so um, Flickr used to really rank well in the search engines, and I would get licensing inquiries that way. And, you know, I still do occasionally, but it seems like that number's trickled down as people have started to look elsewhere for th- for photos. I got one once. Nice. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I think, I'm, did I just say this five minutes ago that they have an API at SmugMug? They do. You didn't say that, but they do. Um, yeah, it's a very complete. I just read the entire document, but okay. it's very. No, I didn't. Um, it's it's a very complete looking API that mirrors some of Flickr's functionality, and maybe it went the other direction. But yeah, it's a REST API with everything from grabbing EXIF data to pulling down your photos. And so, are there any good apps that that use the API? The like main third-party SmugMug apps? There are actually the native... So SmugMug used to have an app that wasn't necessarily awesome, and there were a couple third-party ones that came up. Um, about, I want to say maybe a year and a half to two years ago, though, SmugMug released a new app called Camera Awesome. Oh, that was them. That was them. That was built by SmugMug. I heard about that. And so um, it's a great camera app for the iPhone um, and the iPad. It's on the iPad now. So it's a great camera app. It does a lot of the filters and cropping and effects and all that kind of thing. But it also obviously has integration with SmugMug, so it's easy to publish your photos to SmugMug or to browse from there. Um, and so I don't use any third-party apps with SmugMug. Um, given that they do have the API, though, there are third-party integrations like... Um, like if you're going to order Moo cards, you know, yeah. from Moo.com, they can pull your photos from SmugMug to use with your Moo cards and things like that. Oh, have so, you seen the the new Lux cards from Moo? I haven't seen one in person. I've only seen the the, uh, the online ads. No, and you such. you can kill people with those too. Nice. Like they're, they're like they're like small shivs. I'm sure. Giving I, just, these... I just ordered some. <laughs> Great. Not for killing people. Of course not. There we don't, there's no record of you saying that on the internet. Of course not. But I didn't threaten anyone directly. That's I'm entirely true. within my right. Hypo- um, hypothetically, you might be able to injure somebody. Were you of that uh, disposition? Yes. Of course. All right. So. Well, I'm going to check that out. That's I. I like I said, Flickr started to feel a little bit cheapened. I I I have a loyalty, a love for them after all the the photo saving they've done for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm gonna check out. I'm gonna check out. Smug. I was just on their website. It looks really nice. Yeah, and definitely. plus with and no can... free accounts, I I think that that raises the level of discourse significantly. It does. I mean, and the other thing I will say about them is that they're they have awesome customer support. I haven't had to contact them a lot, but um, when you do send them a question, whether it's a, you know, I mean, a billing question or a technical question, I mean, I know as I customize my site, I would a couple, run into a couple things where it's like, this isn't working quite like I expected it to. I would send an email. I mean, it's, it's rare that you email SmugMug customer support and don't get an answer within like three hours. It's, it's phenomenal nice. for an online company like that. Awesome. So, highly recommended. Awesome. All right. So, my last pick is an app called Knock. My buddy Kalen, uh, we, we were on a, a road trip to uh, to a cabin up near Duluth in uh, Minnesota, and 
it was a long trip and and uh, yeah but that's that's beside the point um he would every time he opened up his his uh macbook he would knock four times on his pocket and i thought it was an ocd thing until he explained that there's an app that it connects over bluetooth le and it uh when your computer locks it turns on and it connects to your phone using almost no energy in the background and your phone will say knock to unlock and then you knock four times or i think it's supposed to be two but it takes four to get it to work <laughs> um you, you knock on your phone and it can be in your pocket you know sitting on the table whatever and your computer unlocks and it has to be your phone so if you leave you know if you walk away at the coffee shop go to the bathroom your computer locks and only you can open it when you get back it's pretty it's handy it's fast and it's a cool trick yeah definitely i mean we it it gets te- you know we want to lock our computer for security reasons and i think probably most of the people that listen to your podcast understand that but but it's a pain right you got to hit the key and type in the password and you know when you it's, change it's why it's why apple put the thumbprint id on phones exactly passwords are a pain in the butt um they're 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 not a great option but uh we haven't come up with something universal that works a lot better so yeah knock uh sounds interesting I recommend uh, checking it out. It's not expensive. It's fun to play with. Yeah, yeah. I'm always willing to pay a few dollars for something useful. So, <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to our last sponsor of the day, uh, which is Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a domain name for it. Uh, you want something that, that's catchy, memorable, and it represents your online identity. Hover gives you exactly what you need to get the job done, and you can find the perfect domain for your idea to live at, so you can just start creating the actual product and move on to the next thing on your to-do list. Uh, if you know anyone who works in this industry, they'll, in the web design industry, they'll more than likely recommend Hover to you. Uh, we all love it and recommend it because you don't have to be an expert to take control of your own domain. If you, even if you, uh, you're using a web designer to create your website, Owning your own domain means that you don't have to depend on anyone else in the future to protect and renew your domains. Because uh, web designers disappear, owning your domain is really smart. Uh, most importantly, though, Hover is honest. There are no upsells, and they don't try to get you to dish out for services you don't need. They just give you powerful tools for finding and quickly registering domain names. You can get great services such as valet transfers, Google Apps, and a ton of new top-level domains to pick from. I just picked up down rabbit holes. It's <laughs> rabbithole.es. I love it. Um, they'll even help you grab a custom email that will work alongside your current email address. So you never have to send out one of those, hey, I have a new email address to all of your family, friends, and, uh, and colleagues. You can even forward a custom email to any other address for $5. Uh, you can get 10% off your first purchase with uh, Hover using the offer code ColdSnap in honor of recent weather. <laughs> uh, so thanks to Hover for supporting Systematic and 5x5. All right. That's the end of the show, Aaron. All right. It's been something. It was fun. That's something. It's been awesome. Come on. It was. Um, it was I enjoyed chatting with you. I think I think especially in the education area and our backgrounds and all that, I think we're I think we're of like mind on a lot of that stuff. Seem to be. All right, so you can be found on Twitter at A. Hockley, and you have a website for your studio at splatphoto.com. Anywhere else you want to mention? 
Um, that site is actually more aimed at other photographers, but if people are hobbyists or just interested in photography, they'll find that out. I have hockleyphoto.com as my studio. Ah, my mistake. But, so but those you, pictures of Alcatraz are awesome. Yes, that's, uh, that's been a fun place to visit and do a little project at. So, um, yeah, nice. check me out. Twitter is probably my, my social network of choice, so feel free to uh, harass me there. Awesome. All right, and I am TT Scoff everywhere, and I'm at brettterpstra.com. Look me up. Uh, check out uh, slash audio drop. If you want to uh, leave me a little message, audio message, and, uh, and see if you uh, would be an interesting guest on Systematic. So thanks again, Aaron. Thank you, Brett. And we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>